Welcome to the Dreams and Money podcast. Join me as I talk to inspiring, trailblazing millennials who are breaking barriers and being bosses in their careers and personal lives. On this episode, I am joined by avid entrepreneur Michael Kay, the owner of four plus businesses, including Talking Drum, the restaurant, RXB, a barbershop, a China sourcing company, and a building construction company, along other investments. Michael talks about how being kicked out of home at 17 years old changed his life, how his first business almost ruined someone's wedding. He gives advice to aspiring business owners and the key to his success, plus more. So, let's get into it. Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Dreams and Money podcast. I am your host, Noma, and as always, I've got a special guest. This time it is Michael K, the busy and booked Michael K, should I say, because <laughs> getting this man to meet with me was, you know, like it was it, it was difficult, but we got there in the end. <laughs> um, you know what? So- we, we did, we did. <laughs> Yeah, no, we got there in the end. So Michael is the owner of Talking Drum, the restaurant, as well as RXB Barbershop. He has an e-commerce store and a building construction company, along other things that he does. Um, and we're going to get all in, into that. So welcome, Michael. Hi, Norma. Thanks for having me, man. I know I know it's been back and forth, but you know what they say, it's better to wear out than to rust out. So, you know, that's, that's why we've been busy. I've never heard that saying before, but okay. <laughs> um so what I feel like you've had a busy day what have you been doing today I mean today alone I think um we've I've been on the phone with my architect Uh, we were looking at the topographical drawing for one of our developments actually and we realized that what planning permission is approved is actually bigger than what our boundary lines and I know it sounds technical but in small words we've got planning approved for development um couple units and what we've gotten planning permission for is bigger than the boundary than the land itself so we have to now resize that or find an alternative access point so that's that um so when you said e-commerce i actually have a china sourcing business so which likens onto my e-commerce business so what we do is we source things from china i've got a china warehouse i've got a chinese bank account i've got a chinese contract phone and a chinese address subsequently as a result of that i source from china as though i'm a chinese national when you source um, from Alibaba and you type English, instantly you've betrayed yourself because you've betrayed your currency. They now know that you can pay in dollars or pounds or whatever it might be. When you buy as a Chinese national, you're using you know, um, Chinese yuan or you're paying in RMB, um, your prices are more favorable um, and you're not, you're looked at because China, China, Chinese people are very you know, patriotic. Um, so they love you know, Chinese. So if he speaks Chinese, types in Chinese, as a Chinese mobile number, has a Chinese warehouse, subsequently he is Chinese. So we are able to get savings of about 30 to 50%, which allows us to then sell on platforms, but also source things for other people. I say that to let you know that I also had a call with a broadband company that's sourcing like 300,000 like broadband equipments. Um, and so we are the mediator for them and we're saving them um, 32% of the total cost. So yeah, I mean, that's just this morning alone. Um, wow. alongside some other meetings yeah. so let's get into how you started getting involved in China and businesses over there and obviously like you've just said you now are a, operate as a Chinese businessman to them um, how did you begin that journey do, do you know what it is? it's not it's a no-brainer and I think you know we simplify as entrepreneurs we simplify things that are complicated but that's our job Um, A lot of people complicate the entrepreneurship journey. I literally one day was learning to fly a plane. So I'm a trainee pilot. It's called your PPL. 
there's something about people that once they make like some bit of money, the next thing they want to do is conquer the sky and go and fly. So I was doing my PPR and I was scared of heights. So while I'm learning, my instructor said to me, Michael, you need to go on a long journey on a plane um, so you can have a bit more height confidence, as he said. Um, and I thought, where's the longest single flight place I can go? It was either Chile or China. Chile, 16 hours on a plane. Ain't nobody got time for that. Um, and I thought to myself, let me go China. Um, and let me go and see what's happening. Let me go to the source and kill two birds with one stone. I booked a ticket. I didn't know anybody in China. I'd never been there before. I had no history, no plan. And that's the same for many people in my community. We don't have any, you know, none of our uncles, not our parents, none of our moms have ever been entrepreneurs. So it's, we're first generation. I just went out there. And as a curious individual, I was just asking the right questions, turning up, you know, the right stones. And unbeknownst to most people, China is one of the most amazing, beautiful, peaceful countries you could ever live in. I, you know, and I, I fell in love with the place and I've been going for like the past six years and I spent at least six weeks to two months in China every single year. Um, as a result of that, it's birthed, you know, the concepts and the ideas that we now see to be fruitful. My mind is like going at like <laughs> 10 million miles an hour. Okay, so you're also a trainee pilot. I feel like you've lived like nine different lives. Let's get into that quickly before we go back into the business. Trainee pilot, how, why, when, what? <laughs> do, do you know what's funny? It's quite common. Um, and trainee pilot, not from the perspective that you want to be a commercial, because that's a CPL. I'm not trying to be a commercial pilot. It's just... Anything I'm scared of, I like to conquer it. Um, I think on the other side of fear is a lot of reward. And most importantly, if we can't justify why we're scared of that thing, it's important that we confront it. Um, and it would shock you that it takes less to overcome what you think you're intimidated by or cautious of or apprehensive or running away from or reticent about. Um, I literally, like some of my friends, and I think it's quite common, once you make money, I don't, there's a saying that says, if money doesn't change you, you haven't made enough. If you make enough money, it will change either the way you speak, your demeanor, your composure, your taste, your experience. Um, I was saying to a friend of mine, I've, I've got a dehumidifier. So when she bought a house, I said, the first thing you need to get is a dehumidifier. And she was like, you bougie, bougie. No, because I now care about what I'm breathing in. You know, when you renovate a house, there's dust everywhere. So money kind of changes you. And so all my friends, once we made some money, we thought we conquered the ground. The next step was to conquer the air. And we're not going to grow wings tomorrow, are we? So we might as well just become um, a trainee pilot. And yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing journey. And it's like, I've got eight books to read through and it's still there staring me in my face, which I can bring for you guys later. <laughs> so what, at this point, what stage you're at in terms of your, of your training? Are you like almost complete? Are you like a couple lessons away from being certified? Perfect. So the process is quite, it's not complicated at all. You have to do 30 hours um, and then your exams. Um, and it's, it's not really a complicated challenge, but it's the book you have to read. And when you have an inundated schedule and you're running up and down and employees respectfully can be like children at times, um, and you have to micromanage and oversee it, it's, it's taken me longer. And then we had COVID last year. So which kind of halted the whole process. And I only prefer to fly in summer. I'm not going to lie to you guys, as much as I'm trying to overcome this height thing, you know, it doesn't mean I've overcome it just yet. Like, I think courage is not the absence of fear. It's in spite of being fearful, I'm still going to try it. I'm not ready to fly in winter when it's raining and the whole plane is shaking. I'm, I'm not involved. So I need calm weather to be able to fly this plane. Let's just, let's just be as honest as we can from the beginning. 
I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, okay, so let's go back into uh, the business. Now, you own the Talking Drum restaurants and you launched that in 2019, I believe? Yes, we did. And how, what was that journey like and what inspired you to start a restaurant considering you already had all of these other businesses which are successful? Why a restaurant? So I've been in the hospitality industry for like six years now because prior to Talking Drum, I owned Luxford Bar, which is the home of, you know, DLT. Days Like These Brunch actually started in Luxford Bar. Um, Lux Sunday, for those of you that don't know, these are like popular culture um, events to to go to. um, And they've now branched out and they've done amazing things. And we were literally the home and the inception where these things started. I mean, to give you the context, Luxford started because I got... Tired. I mean, going to Mayfair and doing that lifestyle in Mayfair, members club and all of these things, it becomes a bit mundane, a bit monotonous and repetitive. And you can't help but feel as though they like your money, but they don't like your kind. Yes. I'm very, yes. very big on people that have the same affinity, that look like me, operate like me and experience the same problems as me. People from my culture, from my country, from my kind and so forth. And so I thought to myself, well, let's build something, you know, magnanimous, something big, something because... Luxford was 4,000 square feet. We had capacity of up to about four to 500 people. Within my community, people don't go that big in hospitality. And now I know why. Um, so we started from Luxford Bar because we wanted to create something for people within our community. And we also didn't want people to go to Mayfair to you know, enjoy their dates and then drive all the way back home. We wanted something local and amazing. Luxford Bar did its thing. And then we thought it was time to transition into something better, which was fine dining, West African food with French principles or cooking principles um, and, and so forth, that kind of fusion. So that's kind of the evolution. We started out because we wanted to create something for ourselves. Talking John became the next evolution of people of color have been in England for too long. We go to these fancy restaurants and let's be honest, we don't like the food at all. Um, you know, most of the time we, we, we're pretending it's more lifestyle, more imagery um, than content. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, when you go to a restaurant, you know, it looks nice. The ambiance is great. The cocktails look pretty. But then the food, some of it, you know, is bland. But because of lifestyle and because of image and in the name of for the gram, you go there just for the sake of going there, not because you particularly care about what they're serving. You know, what? I couldn't agree more. I, I think the issue is previous entrepreneurs or prior entrepreneurs, they betrayed the quality within the black community. Like it's often acceptable in our community to never have standards in your business, in the quality of what you produce or in your customer service. Um, and we thought we would turn that upside down and create an amazing ambiance. I mean, we still got the same 4,000 square feet restaurant, but the whole ceiling now is flowers. So we've given you that, you know, aesthetically pleasing venue, amazing customer service, food and ingredients that you can actually pronounce. You know, I'll be in Monkey House and Park Chinois and Novikov and, you know, George's and the rest of the list goes on. Um, you know, Annabelle's and you're like, well, this isn't, you know, this isn't what I'm accustomed to and, and I'm having to adapt my palate. So Talking John was the answer to that. You know, the ambience, the music. And we, we have the whole Amazonical kind of feel going on. And I think we kind of started that before they even opened up. Um, and I couldn't be more proud of the brand, especially the team that run it. I am the owner, but it's often the team that makes this thing work. It's the server, the waitress, the operation manager, the marketing team, the chef and the operations manager. There's like 19 people that make Talking Drum work. And if they are listening to this, my hat's off to you guys, because all I do is look pretty whilst you guys do the hard work. And I respect it so much. 
I must say your restaurant is absolutely beautiful. The food as well looks beautiful. <laughs> I must, I'm just going to say this. If you're listening to this on audio, he was just doing a bow like, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um no, but honestly like it looks like I said aesthetically pleasing for people who want to go to you know to the pretty places that are Instagram worthy there's somewhere that you can go and like you said it's food that you're familiar with food that you love and it's just in a space where you can just appreciate you know the ambiance it looks pretty you can get your pictures for the gram and still have a good time as well um so obviously we went through COVID last year and restaurants being shut pretty much for, I would say, a year now. How has that affected you and potentially the future of your businesses, including the barbershop as well? I mean, let's be honest. To, to say COVID hasn't been um, detrimental to businesses across the board, it, it, it's a lie. Um, and, and I say this passionately, actually. My hat's off to those starters that started in such a turbulent year. Um, but most importantly, even more so, my heart's out to people who have been in the industry for 19 years and we're on their last kind of, you know, hurdle or their last, you know. What COVID in, inadvertently did is it exposed a lot of flaws in a lot of people's systems and, you know, businesses. It's been difficult. But at the same time, the government have done exceptionally well to be able to kind of repeal or stand guard and protect businesses as much as they can. I mean, I know businesses that got funding that were about to close down that should never have funded. And now they've got a new bounce, a new spring. I mean, so, so I think COVID has been a double-edged sword, especially, and if we're talking to people within my community, because again, I always bring it back to my community. I can't speak for nobody else um, because we have unique problems from everybody else um, as, as people of color. Um, I, I posted on Instagram a while ago, which is that we can't have race-neutral policies when we have race-specific issues. As race-specific entrepreneurs, it's imperative that you understand that we are never given money for anything. So in saying that, COVID has been the perfect catalyst for a lot of us to access funding that we otherwise wouldn't have had access to. So I've seen some people really bounce back from COVID and really set themselves up for the next 20 years. And I'm proud of those people. And I've seen some people close down at the same time. So it... it I hope I've been able to kind of justify my, my vantage point of this whole COVID experience. It's been tough for, for me, for us, but it's also been amazing for me and for us. Yeah. So obviously we are opening up again. What can we look forward to with Talking Drum? Will we see you guys maybe open up your space for events at any point or will it just be, you know, let's say private bookings and any of that or private parties or any of that kind of stuff? Is that something you would look to do? Great question. So there's been a lot of noise about Talking Drum um, and so much, and I can't thank everybody enough um, for the platform, for the conversation, but the people don't realize we are still embryonic. Although we were established in 2019, we've been going through various consultations, consultation stages. We only just opened in October last year. And as we opened in October last year, we've only actually tested the waters and case studied with, with everybody for like two months. We're not trying to do anything different beyond what we were trying to do from when we opened up, which is engage the people um, and make sure that, you know, the cuisine and tweak whatever it is that we need to tweak. So we've had our, our trial period for the past two months. It's about just moving forward from there and making sure we maintain the same mantra before we do the events, before we do, you know, all these ostentatious, extremely wild things. And then it gets lost in translation. We just want to be first. Like, after all the drama that the world has been, has been going through, 
can we just be first? Can Talking Drum just be what we design it to be for now? And then after six, seven months, we'll let you know what we think, you know, should happen next. Okay, I, I hear that. Um, so can we take it back a little bit to your upbringing, your childhood? Obviously now someone looking at you, you're successful in what you're doing. What was your upbringing like? Did you grow up in a privileged home where you were able to be kind of set up from your family and they helped you along your journey to starting your businesses and making you the man that you are today? I mean, I, I wish I was like Trump and I could say to you that my father gave me a one million pound loan and I've since tripled that and, you know, grown up and developed and become prolific from that. But no, far from the truth. Um, even the way I'm speaking is because I went to university to study English literature. I had to learn to speak. I come from a very extremely marginalized, deprived background. And if you look at me, there's still some things that's rough around the edges. And I, and I think uniquely... All entrepreneurs have to be rough around the edges because we constantly are chasing an insecurity um, on this journey within ourselves. So I come from a really, really bad background. Um, and, I, and I mean, like many of us, we come from, you know, the typical council estates, uh, migrants, mom and dad were cleaners. And then they, they, they finally grew and became nursing assistants. And, you know, and that, that kind of chain, that route, that's, that's where I come from. And you were responsible for looking after your siblings from the age of eight. So even though you were a child, you had children. And th that kind of <laughs> dynamic is, <laughs> is where I come from, you know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't know why I found that funny. <laughs> because because it's, you it's, were, it's our reality. Yeah, yeah. You know, you actually like mom and dad at 13, 14, you come home, you know, okay, I'm going to pick up my younger siblings from school. We're going to go home, make them some lunch before mom comes home. You know, so right. yeah, I, I understand what you mean. I just, I don't know why I just found it so funny. Do you know what? I mean? it's, it's, it's when we face our realities. And so that's, that's what it is. And I, I mean, growing up in a council environment and like most things, it's in the environment. We are the byproduct of our environment, um, you know. And so by growing up around that, I had friends that I wouldn't have considered as gang members. They were my friends. Um, they were doing what boys will be and what, what, what boys would do. Boys will be boys kind of notion. They might occasionally get in fights with people. Um, they might carry knives as a result of, you know, social peer pressure um, or the need to fit in or even more so to protect themselves. Or some of them might have guns. It, you know, it, it's altercations, ego, hubris, arrogance, escalating. So I didn't consider myself as part of any gang or anything. I was just friends with people who seemed to have very interesting extracurricular activities, if, if we want to call it that. Um, so that's kind of like my background. I mean, I have friends who, you know, it's in the newspaper. They've been shot with machine guns in broad daylight in Stockwell. Um, but these were people that I would spend my day to day with. Um, and I, being one of the few that have been able to escape, I think I've taken that opportunity at its hem, um, by the hem or by the hand, whatever you want to call it. And I've never looked back since. Um, and the fact that I could escape such treacherous environments I don't take it for granted so yeah that's my kind of background and you've obviously done amazing with pulling yourself out of that situation and into a better situation for you and your family um what would you say was kind of like a pivotal moment in your life that made you realize like you know what I want to do better and I want to do something different and be an entrepreneur like what was your first taste at entrepreneurship and starting a business so I mean great question as well so the transition for me was the fact that I was a bad criminal. So I might, I might go out with my friends and no, honestly, you have to know what you're good at and what you're bad at. It's not worth forcing anything. Me and my friends would go into a shop. They would still sneak a bars, crisps, drinks, 
again, we're kids, you know, we were even doing it for adrenaline. We weren't even doing it because we wanted these items. Some, I, I remember a friend of mine stole something that he was allergic to. So it wasn't even about, <laughs> it, I mean, honestly speaking, it wasn't about, you know, consumption. It was more about adrenaline and, oh my God, I can be cooler than you. And I was still sherbets. And now I'm showing my age now, because some of you might have no clue what sherbets are, but sherbets are those one piece sweets that's just like sugar in a straw. And I would still like five and I'll get caught. Like, what? how the hell? What, what? Like, he stole a whole packet of crisp that makes noise. How am I the one that's always getting caught? We would throw stones at someone's window and, you know, everybody would escape. Police would show up at my door and be like, yes, you. Either God was trying to say there was something unique about me or I was a bad criminal. And all of that equated to me saying, I don't think this life is for me. Let me try something different. Um, and I, I literally excommunicated, excommunicated myself. I estranged myself from my usual group of friends. I moved away at the age of 17 from my parents, which I think was pivotal because I, I remain in such an environment. I think my journey and the conversation we'll be having right now would have a totally different topic at its hem, you know? And by changing the environment, moving out at the age of 17, being kicked out at the age of 17, um, because my parents couldn't afford for me to influence uh, my siblings in, 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 a, in a crazy manner. And these stories are amazing because I have to tell these stories to kids now when they get arrested, because I work with London Met. When young people get arrested, they bring me in to give them speeches about reducing recidivism, which is the act of reoffending. And it's funny that, you know, we have this conversation now, but those times it wasn't. Um, I, I was a problem child. Um, and now that I'm a bit more grown, it takes maturity to identify that you were not the best lover, you were not the best partner, you were not the best son, you were not the best employee. Um, and these are things I think through time I've been able to kind of see. Move that from the environment, change the environment, living by myself in a hostel, starving. It dawned on me that money does not grow on tree. Life, no one's coming to save you. You have to save yourself. This stomach is gonna keep growling until you feed it. And it's either we do something criminal or we do something unique and inventive. And that's when I started looking at what could I do for myself that would bring peace of mind and lots of bread. Okay, so before we get into the businesses that you then started from there, um, let's go. You mentioned that your parents kicked you out. And um, I was listening to a previous interview that you did and you spoke about how for a period of time you didn't speak to your mom. Can you tell me a bit more about that and how that affected you? One as a person, because obviously like I feel like every child, no matter even if you're 20, you're 30, you're 60, you still you know, want your mom and, and that connection with, with your mom. Like your mom is your everything. How did that mold you and how did that kind of affect who you are today um so i think that's again you're asking some really good, good questions here because i've been doing like 10 interviews for the past week uh, my publicist is on job shout out to her if she's listening right now um i think she's on job too much so she needs to reduce the interviews please um and so for, for me I, I gave an example which is that in, in the black community particularly especially africans and and i'm only speaking because i'm african um i've seen it in the caribbean community as well but let me speak for myself I grew up in an environment where my parents said to me, don't bring shame to the family. Um, if you're successful, you are our child. And if you're a failure, we don't know you. Um, as tough as that is, it, you know, for those that are able to perform and, and, and come to that kind of realization and actually achieve the expectations, it's amazing. For those that it, that it withers and it kills or it brings you down, because that, that's a, a lot of pressure. For me, I think moving out and being kicked out by my parents was critical for me 
to become who I am today. Um, a lot of people don't want to address tough love in this day and age. We just want to just, we, we think one shoe fits all, or we want to be so inclusive that we fail to realize that sometimes different people respond differently to different things. When I had to fend for myself, it changed my narrative. It changed my perception. When you were age 17 and you were encountering bailiffs 17 and six months into your, your, you know, your existence on this earth, you start to kind of instantly shift into either adult mode. It's either fight or flight. Um, so I don't think I have any disdain or distaste or dislike or hate towards my parents. I cannot thank them enough. So much so my dad cracks a joke and says, if we had known we should have beaten you more and kicked you out sooner, you might have been president. Um, and I, it's, not, it's not to encourage anybody to go home and beat their child and kick their child out. I'm just simply saying sometimes independence is, is an amazing opportunity for some people. Um, and, I, and I also couldn't blame them with the path and the route that I had taken. It was extremely frustrating, painkillers. And, you know, we, they, having a child that you don't know if he's going to come home tonight, it's a headache within itself. And then you, having a child that you don't know what he could do to someone else's child is a headache within itself. And I think oh. that's the environment that a lot of us grew up in. That, what you've just said about just having a child that you don't know what they could potentially do to someone else, that's powerful. And I can't even imagine as a parent feeling like, wow, have I raised somebody that is morally just incorrect? Like they, they are <laughs> on a whole new level that I don't recognize, especially, you know, like as, you know, African parents are proud people and they are a people of principle and morals and most of it grounded in faith and in Christianity as well. Of course, um, of course. So I can imagine that's that that's not an easy thing, especially, you know, raising a child in this day and age is, is a challenge in itself, but I digress. So um, back to you, what was then the first business you started before the four to five businesses you have now? Potentially more than five, but what was the first so, 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 one you had your hand at? So, I mean, this is a question I get asked a lot, so it might seem a bit, you know, cyclical to some of you guys that follow me so my first business was actually a wedding photography business um i it was my job to go to someone's wedding and again for the budding entrepreneur who doesn't know what to do there were sectors in the industry that makes a lot of money wedding funeral makes a lot of money let me just tell you that from now people because of the nostalgia the sentiments the emotion and the feelings involved a lot of people will spend a lot of money on their wedding day so as a photographer, a videographer, you can charge about 4,000 to 8,000 to 12,000 pounds. So what I did was I had an amazing website. I spent, I think every bread, you know, back in the days you have to go job centers like every two weeks. I don't know how it works now. Um, so I would go to the job centers every two weeks. I'll sign on and they'll give me my money into my account. And there was also like hardship funds that you could apply for. I got the money, created an amazing website that said we do wedding photography. I didn't have the camera. So again, don't let things hold you back. The thing about lack of money is that you become so inventive and creative. A lot of big companies throw money at issues they should throw creativity at. When you've got no money, that's when, for example, if you get paid from work, that's when our dumb asses are thinking, let's go Nobu and eat. When you're broke, you realize you got Indomie in that wardrobe and you open up that bad boy and you start making that Indomie or that spaghetti or that noodles and you are filled and you watch a movie and you go to sleep, you know? Um, so I created an amazing website. I couldn't afford the cameras. I couldn't afford none of the, you know, apparatus or the devices. And stupidly, and a lot of you as young entrepreneurs or starting entrepreneurs, you will have this moment where you're like, they really believe me. They took me seriously. Like, oh my God, like, 
mind you, I'm a young individual, like shifting from houses to houses. Um, and somebody based on the backdrop of my website and me stealing other people's videos uh, and just putting our logo on it, creativity again. And when you've got nothing to lose, you're willing to take the risks, you know? So did the website, got the customer, they paid 4,000 pounds deposit. I pinched myself. Like I was like, bro, we've made it. Like that four grand, I'm going to buy a helicopter with that four grand. I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to get a swimming pool. Like, you know what I mean? It's about to be a music video. Bro, we've made it out here. We've made it. <laughs> I, I, just, I was ready to retire on that 4,000 um, pounds. And that was the first business. And, you know, then we did another one. And instantly I realized the youthfulness in my plan. The second one that we did, what would happen is with the first one, I got the contract and I gave it to somebody else. I made some money from it. The second time I thought to myself, let me, you know, remove the contractor. Let me remove, you know, the media, mediator, you know, intermediary between me and, you know, the execution of the job. So I decided to do the job myself. I went and hired a camera. And remember, I don't know nothing about cameras. I'm, I've never taken a wedding. Yeah. Keep walking. Yeah. Yeah. Can you see this? Yeah somebody's wedding day, the most important day of their life. I've hired the most expensive camera because I'm like, if I hire the most expensive one, isn't it just button pushing? I've gone to the wedding. I've paid one of the young Gs, like we say. Um, I paid a female friend of mine. I said, I'll give you 150 pounds. Your job is just to push the button. Um, we've gotten the flash on top. We're there now. We're like, pium, 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 just... Da, 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 da. because you're so naive to the industry because it looks so easy to do you don't realize the techniques the the principles the practices the methodologies we forgot to bring extra batteries no matt listen no more i'm at someone's wedding and we're taking a picture and they're now about to do the kiss and if you know anything about the kiss if there's a wedding photographer listening to me right now the kiss is the most critical pivotal paramount significant shot ever the camera dies so i'm now in front of the bride and groom and the camera has died i'm keeping my composure because you have to learn to keep your cool under pressure if there's a fire calm down don't you know Panic. it's not the bullet that kills you it's the shock don't let the shock kill you baby so i've looked at the flash and the flash has its own testing button that you can push that just flashes so because it's a separate attachment that's powered by a battery, a separate battery. So I'm looking in front of the bride and the groom and I push the flash button and they, they're smiling. I'm just pressing the flash button like eight times to make them think I've captured the picture. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the end of that business. Wow. I don't even know, like, I can't even imagine the anger of that bride and groom. Because if it was me, I'm finding you. It's not even just about the money. I am coming <laughs> for you, MK. You let's not talk about it. <laughs> this will be the last, your last day on earth. Wow, that is incredible. But then you, I'm sure you you learned a lesson from there. But we're gonna get into some of your regrets and some of the bad investments that you've done and some of the mistakes you've learned along the way. So from the start of your business as a photographer all the way to now, you've got up six plus businesses that are operating successful. Um, so what is one mistake that you may have made that was for your benefit? So of course, we just we just spoke about the failure of your, your first business. What are some mistakes you've made along the way that you are kind of grateful happened? I think 
I think this is universal to everyone. One of the mistakes that I made was romanticizing what entrepreneurship looks like or what it is. Um, I genuinely thought, and you see, whenever our expectation and reality don't match, um, it becomes hope deferred. Um, and we become somewhat disappointed and disgruntled with that thing. And we never want to try again. I was fully of the opinion that all it took was that I would start my business. And this time next year, I would have the helicopter, the yachts and, you know, and so forth. And for so long, that was how I measured what success was and how I measured what the entrepreneurial journey was until I discovered that this thing is not for the faint hearted. Um, I mean, of course you hear the statistics, like 50% of businesses die in the first year. Um, then the 50% out of the 50% that don't die, 70 or 75% die the second year. And that most businesses don't survive three years. You just somehow convince yourself it's not going to be me. I'm favored. Um, I'm chosen. I'm unique. And, you know, you, you, you gash yourself when you say all of these stuff. And business is not preferential. There's nothing particular about you. You know, the business world is not bullying you but it does require you to have your wits about you. And that's something I wish I'd learned sooner. Um, and also how much you need to know. Like, wow, <laughs> wow. Like guys, <laughs> if we talk about, if I tell you some of the conversations I have with people, you would realize how disconnected you are from how things work. Um, you know, when you think about legislations and you have to bring your legal team on board and you have to think about non-disclosures and you have to think about non-competes and then you have to think about if you're dealing with conveyancing, for example, you're buying a house, you're dealing with conveyancing, you're dealing with boundary issues, you're dealing with, um, and that's just these ones. Then when you're talking about sourcing something from China, you're dealing with your EORI number, you're dealing with your VAT, deferred payment, you're dealing with custom clearance and you're dealing with haulage and I'm just giving you just snippets into different kinds of sectors of things that I'm dealing with. If you're not talking about e-commerce then you're dealing with a complaining customer who got the product but lied and said they didn't get the product so that eBay can give them back the money. Oh, I, yeah, let's not even get into that one. And then you're thinking about your logistic company who don't understand the imprint or the impact that they have if they don't deliver the goods on time because one you know, user will leave a bad review and then Amazon will review your account. And for the five days that you don't sell, you lose your ranking. That's just those pockets that we can we can address. Then let's go into patent law. Then you're, you're finding out, um, well, have they done the worldwide search? And you realize that one administrator made a mistake and came back with false information that otherwise isn't true, but we've already gone ahead and commissioned a product designer. We can keep going. Business is not for the faint hearted. So when people romanticize with the idea and they say it's easy, um, and this is also one of the reasons why our community sticks to certain industries and sectors. For example, T-shirt printing, eyelashes. You can kind of see because we've seen someone else do it, we then do it and it doesn't require any complication. Um, but that's, that's it. I wish I knew known sooner um, that there's nothing romantic about business. It's really World War Three out there. I actually saw you post the other day something like e-commerce is not just about selling lashes which I found absolutely hilarious, but also very shady. I was like, there's a bit of shade in there that you've just kind of like thrown in. And a couple it, of It's intentional. In there. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm so sorry. It's, it's really intentional. Um, I think for those of you that are listening, it's important that we diversify and we look at other sectors and industries. So when I do e-commerce, for example, we sell toilets and bathrooms. People underestimate the amount of money involved in selling toilets and bathrooms. I focus on necessities, not wants. If people have to like me for my businesses to work, that scares me. If I have to be charismatic 24-7, I have to have 
neutral opinions. If you're selling lashes, you can't have neutral opinions about certain topics because you have to be very neutral to, um, you have to have neutral opinions as opposed to outlandish or idiosyncratic or unique opinions because you need people to like you. You have to befriend that girl. You need that influence. There's too much going on. I have to follow you and follow me back. But when you're selling things that people need, whether you're white, black, Hispanic, they don't care. They have a need for it and they will happily service it. So e-commerce is more than that. Yeah. Um, what you've just said kind of reminded me of um, several weeks ago, there was there was a whole clubhouse. Is it clubhouse? Yeah, yes, clubhouse room made about people in within the beauty industry. Um, so makeup artists, people do lashes, people do nails and just this room of people talking about their bad experiences with certain individuals. So certain makeup artists, certain um, hairstylists. And like what you've just said, you know, those are the kind of businesses where it requires for people to, to also like you as well. And if you say anything wrong, you will quickly get cancelled. You will quickly get dragged. And that's your business, you know, and your reputation down the drain, which is difficult to kind of overcome because now you you become known as, oh, you're that girl that didn't, you, you did X, Y, Z makeup terribly. So I'm never doing, I'm never booking yeah. you again and I'm never doing business with you. So um, you're absolutely right in saying, you know, certain businesses that we do get go into, I think we don't realize how much of ourselves we have to give and you know, counting on people to like you in order for your business to be successful is, is quite difficult. Do you know what? Another issue, so um, just to kind of throw in something else within our community is that we don't look into manufacturing, we look into redistribution and consumption or, or consuming. Why has no one thought about manufacturing those lashes? If you understand that your community likes them so much, why don't you become the very Chinese lady you're speaking to on Alibaba or AliExpress? But no one's typing in eyelashes yeah. machine because we don't think beyond what we're accustomed to or what, we, what we're familiar with or what we know. So I encourage you, if you're listening, go into manufacturing. Sometimes this year, we're looking at opening up a window glazing business whereby we will literally be cutting windows and glass and frame. If you think about how many windows there are in a house, typically, that's a lot of money. If you get a 16 flat you know, contract, you're laughing straight to the bank. And what are you exactly doing? You're cutting windows and mirrors. I'm saying to you, there's so many ways to make money. Stop following your friends and look diversely. Look elsewhere. Um, so what, what I'm hearing from you really is like, it doesn't have to be what you like, what you're passionate about, what you're familiar with. Look at the spaces where you sometimes you don't consider. Look at the things in your home that you use every single day and you need to use every single day and think about, oh, okay, so that person that created XYZ, they are making, you know, millions. I think it was, I don't know what I was reading, but basically thinking about the person that invaded paperclips and the fact that there's someone out there who's a millionaire in the name of paperclips, the tiny little thing that you use and you probably dash after a couple of uses is a millionaire because of a paperclip. <laughs> and, but you know what, we, 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 don't, we don't think like that. Um, again, like I said, we've got race-specific issues. One of our race-specific issues is that we look to people to do it first and then instantly we corner that market. If somebody, if oh, that's only Reggie, or I'll come, if Reggie can do it, I can do it too. Oh, that's only Sade. If Sade can do it, I can do it too. And that's a wrong mentality. You need to leave Sade's business alone because that's Sade's business. You need to look at what can you do that will outlast anybody else's business. Every business I've ever gone into is because we've looked at trends. We've looked at where it's going. If you watch a construction, we build houses. 
for other people. But most importantly, we buy land, we get planning permission, we build houses for ourselves. Everyone's talking about development. A lot of people's idea of development is buying a house, adding a room to it. No, 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 no. That's basic value. When you buy a land for say 250,000 pounds and you build it for 300,000 pounds and then you sell it for 2 million, you can do the numbers. People need places to live, place to sleep. Talking drum, people will eat. In every recession, the first thing people want to do is drink and be merry because the more we are oppressed, the more we want to jubilate, the more we want to celebrate. And that's why we went into talking drum. Like the last recession in 2008, alcohol sales went up whilst people were losing their homes because people have to salace themselves, comfort and discomfort. Go into trend, waste. Everybody throws something in the bin, but no one thinks about what happens after I've thrown it in the bin. I have a friend I make 6 million profit every year from a waste management business. Something that none of us are thinking about because we are romanticizing with business. You want to be like ghost and walk into that nightclub and you want all, all the girls or all the guys to look at you and be proud of you. Those businesses perish quicker than you can imagine. Don't get fed into that stereotypical Hollywood style businesses of I need, I need to own a nightclub, I need to own a bar, I need to own a shisha spot. These things die because everybody else is thinking like that. I'm not passionate about toilets. I'm not passionate about construction. I'm not passionate about you know, hospitality. I'm not passionate about legislation or some of the other things. I'm not passionate about IT or tech or software, but there's money there. And wherever the money is, follow it. So basically go where the money resides. That's but it. no, do you know what? I think what you've just said is so important. Um, and I think we've been fed this idea and I, I subscribe to the idea that do what you're passionate about because I'm somebody who needs to be passionate about what they're doing. Otherwise I don't give my hundred percent. I'll be completely honest. If I don't care for it, if I'm not passionate about it, if it doesn't pull at my heartstrings, I don't give a heck. I'm not putting my hundred percent. And that's a, that's a flaw in me. Um, but what you're saying, like I said, is it is important that we look at the things that are not just about what we, what we care about, whether it's clothes, whether it's makeup, whether it's lashes or all of these other things and just look at, okay, what's going to make you money in the long run and help you build the wealth that you want. Can I ask you a question? Yes, of course. Yes. If I offered you 10,000 pounds every single month to come and be a trainee project manager, would you do it? Yeah. Are you passionate about project management and construction? Not construction, particularly, no. But is 10,000 enough to sway you? Yes. Thank you. That's my point. I, I hear it. I hear it. And I, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Um, so again, I think it's just it's something I'm learning. Like, it, it's not everything that you do. You have to be passionate about it because at the end of the day, there's so much going on out there that you miss out on, all in the name of what you're passionate passion. about. Yeah. I think passion is overrated. So you're definitely right on that one. So I was watching this video that a friend sent me by T.D. Jakes, and he was talking about commitment to the vision, commitment to the journey, and commitment to what you're doing. And I feel like for you to be able to have started and created four businesses or five businesses that are successful and are that will continue to thrive by God's grace, what do you feel like has been key for you in terms of like, making sure that you are committed and how have you kept yourself committed to certain things like like we were just saying you know it's not about the passion and it's difficult to commit to things that you don't necessarily care about so what are some things that you know help you stay committed to that vision and the journey that you're on I think for me I and if you notice when we spoke earlier I always give 
credibility where credibility is due. My team are at the forefront of everything that I do. When you start diversifying, um, similar to Richard Branson, he doesn't know a lot of things about space or NASA or telecommunications or aerospace or you know Visa credit card, but he's been intelligent and smart enough to create a team of people that in his exhausted state, when he's tired and you know, and he needs to rejuvenate, his team can keep going. You reference TDJ, which I'm sure is a spiritual leader and you know in the church and so all that good stuff. The advantage of the likes of TDJ is that. Even Jesus that they looked to, the first thing Jesus did was recruit 12 disciples. Entrepreneurs and leaders take way too long to recruit staff. So when I first started in business, the second I made a thousand pounds, back in the days, yes, when I was younger, it was about splashing out. As you've gotten older, when your business can make a thousand pounds, my biggest advice to you is recruit somebody to take that laborious, toiling, mundane kind of physical task away from you so that you can begin to use your mind. Remember, it's your mind that you use to create ideas. It's your mind that innovates, that ideates, that recreates. Your mind is what you need as an entrepreneur, not you toiling. We've learned that it's not whoever works the hardest that earns the most because our parents have worked the hardest and they've gone home with the least. It's whoever thinks the smartest. So how I've been able to survive and kept the consistency, the continuity of the vision is by recruiting amazing people who run these businesses for me. I say that I could probably sleep all day and make more money because I won't be up to spend the money because my team are churning it out right now. They are making stuff work for me. I think don't, don't take too long to bring team members in. And because when you have a staff as well, even when you want to get tired, like I said, staff are like children. Most people that have kids don't become mothers until they see that child and through the process of having to nurse and look after that child, as they went, the gift came upon them, if you want to call it that, you know, in, in, in the TDJ terminology. As an entrepreneur, when you have a staff, even if you want to close the business down, you're mindful that this kid or this staff or this woman has to be paid. So when I want to slack sometimes, I'm like, there's like 50 people I have to pay this month. There's no slacking. When you have 50 people whose dreams of buying a house is dependent on your idea, whose goals of getting married is dependent on your idea, whose car payment, whose TV license payment, you can't slack. That wakes you up, even in your dreams. Like you're about to just be like, I give up and it wakes you up again. So again, don't take too long to recruit a member of staff. And most importantly, write the vision down, write the goal down so that if you should die, the next person can pick it up and keep running with it. That's kind of how I do it. I like that. I like that. Um, I just noticed that you said, so, you said I'm at a stage where I can sleep and make more money because if i'm awake i'll probably spend money of course which is goals i mean i'm sure like that, that's <laughs> absolutely goals i can be like you know what maybe i should be taking a nap right now and sleeping versus being awake because i'm gonna be spending money for no reason when i could just be sleeping and making money right well, i love that i love that um, so you. someone may look at you, you know, let's say, look at your socials, look at your Instagram and think, wow, this guy is living the life. He is living lavishly. He is, you know, flying first class, a beautiful home or traveling, driving. Don't forget my, 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 my beautiful cars, my three beautiful cars. Let's put that in there as well. My babies. <laughs> exactly. See, these uh, beautiful cars that he's, he's driving and living a lifestyle that a lot of people 
dream of what would you say to someone that kind of also looks at you and thinks wow this is lifestyle but also doesn't know the grind that it takes to to build that as well as just not everything is it seems you know like there's more behind closed doors than what you just see um via socials in in terms of judging people's lives I mean, I, I'm quite mindful about not misrepresenting the entrepreneurship journey. Um, so, I mean, even though respectfully, you can see the trimmings and the hints um, on, on social media. And when I mean hints, I, there's so much stuff that I hold back on because I think as mature as we are, we have a responsibility to the next generation to be accountable for how we present our lifestyles. I think it's really, really important um, because they don't understand time like how we do. It's taken me over 20 years without divulging um, my age. Um, it's taken, I won't say over 20 years, but nearly 20 years for me to get to the level that I'm at. I started grinding and trying to, on, you know, trying on this entrepreneurship journey. I'll, I'll, I'll say since, what, 17, 18? I'm 33 now. So that's 15 years, give or take. This isn't overnight. Like there's nothing overnight about this. Statistics will tell you that most multimillionaires, we're not talking about people that just have a million. Most multimillionaires make their money over the age of 50, because what that tells you is that at the age of 50, they've accumulated a wealth of knowledge. They've accumulated a gift called, I've seen this before. So I'm able to, you know, kind of overcome challenges and difficulties because I'm like, I've seen this before. This, you know, I, I saw this when I first started out. I saw this when I did it. So don't, don't, like when you watch certain movies or certain stunts and they say, don't try this on your own, well, my advice to you is the same disclaimer. Don't try this on your own. It's not easy becoming what you see. And you're also summing up someone's whole life journey in just one image of either a car or a very expensive champagne bottle, a Louis Trez cognac bottle. Just understand that there's a trail. There's an ingredient. You're just looking um, at, you know, at just a, a small part of it. But it definitely sleepless nights, um, back and forth, palpitation, there were days and moments where you think, yeah, just, just take me now. Like, just, just, you know, just like, there's nothing else. Like there's CCJs, counted court judgment, court cases. Like last year alone, we had eight court cases. Whether it's because an employee thinks this company is so big, I'm going to take them to court for something that's, you know, that they've made up and fabricated. Whether it's a business partner that's literally hoodwinked you and swindled you out of money. There's, there's, there's so much more heartache to this journey you actually experience more heartache on the journey of being an entrepreneur than you do in relationship. And the relationship one, we kind of heal quickly. Once we see the next babe or the next dude with muscles, with business, it can be a bit more daunting and your breakdowns are really, really breakdowns. Phew. Thank you for being real. Like, thank you for sharing that particularly, you know, like you're saying, having to do court cases and all of these things that we don't see. And I think, you know, sometimes we are so focused on what things look like you know hence why I was talking about the social media and and you know someone will look at you and think wow he is living his life like things are rosy things are beautiful it's all peaches and rainbows on in terms of like it's in his life but you don't realize that there's so much battles that you have to fight for your business and just in, in your life to get the things that you have really just just, just another thing to add there were and there were moments where you literally will look at a bill and say to yourself, how am I going to pay this? So there's an analogy that says that I've kind of coined and made up, which is England is one of those countries, if you gave birth to a newborn and you locked that newborn in a room 
And that newborn grew from zero to age 18 and comes out. The first thing that newborn will get is a letter from the government saying you owe money or for TV license or something. There is always a bill to pay. And as a business, for every one pound that you make, whether through VAT, business rate, corporation tax, self-employment tax, NI number, administrative fee that you pay for having a staff on board um, on your PAYE, your accountant, your accounts declarations, your yearly submissions. For every one pound you make, 60p might as well belong to the government. And the rest of the 40p, if you're lucky. So when you have a system like that, it's actually not favorable to be a small business. There's small businesses, uh, medium businesses, and enterprise and so forth, and self-employed. If you you can get from being self-employed to become a small business, then to become a medium-sized business, which is 50 staff and over, which is what I am, between me and you, you deserve your accolades, man. You deserve your accolades, because it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Um, I feel like I could talk to you forever, but I am conscious of time. Um, so you, before I let even, you, we, we, I've even got a call coming in as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so before I let you go, I'm going to do a quick fire round game with you. Okay, so it's a game of this or that. I'll give you two options, and you have to pick one. And don't overthink it; just answer straight. Yeah. Let's go. Okay, so dinner with Mark Zuckerberg or dinner with Jay Z? None. Why? I'm not, I don't, I'm not a fan of Jay-Z's business ethics. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, I've got no interest in him. Mine will be Cat William. I, I, you know, let's get some humor on the table. Okay. Life is serious enough. I like that. I like that. A million pounds in stocks or 500,000 pounds cash, but you don't get to know what stocks they are. Um, knowing what I know, um, but can I sell the stocks? I'll, I'll choose the stocks. You can't sell the stock. Mi- I can't sell them. Then give me 500000 I beg. Please, please, please. Send the money. Here's my account number. Okay. Have a partner that is intelligent and of questionable beauty or they're absolutely, <laughs> absolutely beautiful and dumb. No, you said I shouldn't think about this. Do you have to think about this? <laughs> How long is she my partner for? Is she like a long-term like wife or just something that you're yes, just entertaining so during the winter times? That's, that's fair. I'll just be single. Thank you, Jesus. Take the wheel. You have to pick one. That's the game. <sighs> intelligence. Nah, I don't need intelligence. I'm cool. Uh, but how dumb are we? No, I'm not picking. How dumb are we talking? I'm not involved in that question. No, because how dumb are we talking? Like, how 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 dumb is dumb? Like, she's just ditzy. Like, she's just ditzy. She doesn't, she doesn't know where Ghana is on the map. She doesn't. Okay, no, 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 no. Okay, questionable beauty, but intelligent. God. <laughs> okay <laughs> you have to pick one of your businesses talking drum the restaurant or the barbershop um talking drum okay and the last question what's bringing you happiness right now what's bringing you joy um the fact that i'm creating more jobs for people um that that brings me a lot of joy that i that's the measure of success that you create a path for people that look like you and you're recruiting more black people than ever before that's very important to me I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Michael. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. You've actually made me laugh today. So thank you very much. I feel like we should do this again because our time was cut short and um, I'm sure you'll be starting more businesses and continue to be more and more successful. So we'll have loads more to talk about in the future. We try to open up a business every year anyway, or do a partnership with someone. So check me out this time next year and we'll be doing this. Um, Follow me on Instagram. L-I-T-E-M-K. And thank you again, Norma. This has been exceptionally dope. I've done 10 previous one. 
this has been one of my favorites so far. I'm going to use the same line and tell the next person this has been my favorite one so far, as long as you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely okay with that. I just know that I'll probably do a better job of interviewing you than they will, so it's fine. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Norma. God bless you. No, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Make sure to catch up on any old episodes, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Until the next one.